0: want to, before I bring the Word of God, uh, pray, because without the Lord and His Spirit at work, uh, all of my words are just my words. Father in heaven, Your Word accomplishes its purpose. Your promises always come to pass. And you remain the same forever and ever. One that we can count on. Help us now to hear you and Father to have the grace to follow you, to love you more and more and to trust you more fully in our lives. We ask for this Grace, in the name of Jesus, Amen. Amen. How we pray reveals a lot about us, who we trust, what we believe, and how we pray when we've rebelled yet again against God as we so often do and choose our own ways, that says perhaps even more. About our lives. Where we turn. When we're in need of restoration. As Judah was. In the days that Jeremiah wrote the book of Lamentations. You might recall that Jerusalem had fallen because of the sins of the people. They deserved God's judgment. Now what? Where do they turn? Is there any hope? Is restoration even possible? Will Judah always be devastated? The fifth and final lament we're going to look at this morning does not answer all our questions it does not answer I'm sure all the questions that Judah had the people that were left it it does something better it leaves us with a prayer to pray it brings us to either either go to God to either look to him or Choose our own way and not look to the Lord. It teaches us to look up and to see our God on His throne and to bring to the Lord our need. To call out to the Lord because there's nobody else that can restore us. There's nobody else who can renew us. Nobody else who can forgive and bring life to the people of God. And so we need to pray. Prayers like this. This last lament, Lamentations 5, if you turn there, begins in verse 1. and says, Remember, O Lord, what has befallen us Look and see our disgrace. Remember, O Lord, what has happened to us. Look and see our disgrace or our reproach. At a time when it seemed like God had forgotten the affliction of His people, the poet pleads with God to remember our reproach. Now the plea to remember or to be mindful And to look and consider, it's a cry, not so much just for God to notice Israel's troubles as if he'd somehow forgotten them, as if he wasn't aware of what they were going through. No, it was a prayer for God to remember his people to see and act, to see and say. When God remembers his people and the use of that word, he acts to deliver them. That's the way that word is used. The poet is asking that God would intervene in his people's lives at a time they need him most. And in the following verses, the the poet does recount to God the troubles of the people of Judah. This is what God desires. Though He knows all things, He desires that we bring our needs and our requests to Him. We see that in the prayers of Scripture as, as the people of God tell God what is going on and ask Him to intervene. And so we have a description in verses 2 through 18, and we're going to read the whole section of Judah's need. And we see in their need, a mirror of our own need of God. This is what the poet says, beginning in verse 2, and I will read to verse 18. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our homes to foreigners, We become orphans, fatherless. Our mothers are like widows. We must pay for the water we drink with silver. The wood we get must be bought. Our pursuers are at our necks. We are weary. We are given no rest. We have given the hand to Egypt and to Assyria to get enough bread. Our fathers sinned and are no more, and we bear their iniquities Slaves rule over us, there is none to deliver us from their hand. We get our bread at peril of our lives because of the sword in the wilderness. Our skin is as hot as an oven with the burning heat of, the, of famine. Women are raped in Zion, young women in the towns of Judah. Princes are hung up by their hands, no respect is shown to the elders Young men are compelled to grind at the mill and boys stagger under loads of wood. The old men have left the city gate, the young men, their music. The joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has been turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. For this, our heart has become sick. For these things, our eyes have grown dim. For Mount Zion, which lies desolate, Jackals prowl over it. As you can see from reading this, Judah's situation after the fall of Jerusalem was not pleasant. That's putting it nicely. To summarize verses 1 to 5, their land and their homes are now occupied. And without their land, the whole people is like Orphans and widows, they are in a very vulnerable position. And many of them literally were fatherless and husbandless. In addition to that, under Babylonian control, basic necessities like water and firewood, they were no longer easily and freely available for them. Now the impoverished Judeans had to somehow come up with payment. We we don't know how that worked. But it was not easy for them. And their solution to this problem was not good. According to verse 6, they gave the hand to the Egyptians. That's the ESV. They gave the hand to the Egyptians. That expression means to make an agreement with someone or to submit to somebody. As many translations put it. We have here is a sad reversal of Exodus. As Judah decides to go back to Egypt for food, they think we have nowhere else to go. And we know from Jeremiah... In chapters 42 to 44, that's just what many of the Jews did. Those that remained in Judah did try to escape to Egypt. They thought we could find bread there. Life will be better there. They didn't listen to the warning of the prophet Jeremiah. And they suffered the consequences. Most of them died there. They didn't trust the Lord and their problem wasn't solved. The poet adds in verse 7, Our fathers sinned and are no more, and we bear their iniquities. Our fathers sinned and are no more, and we bear their iniquities. And I want to comment a bit more on this verse because of the way that it might be taken out of context. The poet is pointing out that the sins of earlier generations, their forefathers, are are now bearing fruit in the lives of the current generation. The judgment came to that generation. And it didn't come when grandpa and great grandpa worshiped the idols on on the mountains of of Judah. And I can imagine that would be a sore spot for the current people. It could become an excuse. Well, see, uh, it was their fault, right? If they had only repented. But that's not how the poet uses this he's just acknowledging the fact that yes Grandpa's sins and dad's sins affect me they are affecting the current generation he also at the same time holds that generation accountable for their own sins they were the ones who decided let's try out egypt where did we see that before in the wilderness, when they want to go back to Egypt. How did that go? For the first generation that came out of Exodus. God judged them. And so it is that God judges each generation for their sins. And the poet says directly, and we'll come to it, in verse 16, he says, we did wrong. They were going to be held to account for the wrong they did in their generation. And the devastation was horrible. As we continue to see in, in verses 8 to 15, you've got uh, a lack of food. You've got the heat and famine causing the people to be uh, overheated by the sun, to be parched and feverish. There wasn't anyone that was unaffected. The women were raped. The princes were hung up and tortured, or however that worked, hung by their hands. The elders were dishonored, and the young men were, were made slave labor. There's no more singing in in Judah. Now there's just wailing. Judah's party is, is gone. And all that's left is mourning. When the poet ends his recollection of Judah's sorry state by acknowledging the reason they're in this mess. In verse 16. He says the crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us for we have sinned. Why was Judah in such desperate need? Why had they been brought down so low? Because of their sin. All of these other needs, the need for relief from the famine, the need for relief from their oppressors, stem from their sin. Now there are times it is true when the people of God can rightly say they suffer unjustly. There are times the people of God can say we're suffering unjustly. And God isn't slow to answer those that are unjustly afflicted. There will be a reckoning. But this was not the case when Jerusalem was destroyed in 587 B.C. They had earned destruction. And we need to be able to recognize that as we read and we ponder all that happened to them. For all their woes, Judah's greatest need was to be forgiven. It was to be restored to fellowship with God. And like Judah, that is also our greatest need. And it doesn't do us any good to avoid that. That the greatest need that we have is for God to Restore us to fellowship with him. That it is woe for us. For we deserve the wrath of God for our sin. That we only have ourselves to thank when the crown has fallen from our head. And only God can restore us to life and godliness. There's no other place that we can turn. The poet knew that. That's why he recounted all that happened. That's why he acknowledged sin. And he knew that not only must we confess our sins. We need to go to God. We need him. To restore us. So he concludes not with a recital of Judah's woes, but he continues. He perseveres in prayer and calls on the one who is our hope. Read with me verses 17 through 19. For this, our heart has become sick, For these things, our eyes have grown dim for Mount Zion, which lies desolate, jackals prowl over it. But you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. As you can imagine, the desolation of Mount Zion, the the apple of the eye of the people of Judah. This was sickening. To the remnant of Judah. It was sickening to the the poet as he thought about this and he wrote about this. It seemed as though chaos and evil had won on the earth. The wild beasts ruled Jerusalem now. That's a pretty desperate spot for the people of God. But. You, Lord, reign forever, says the poet. Your throne endures not just in generations past, not just to the present generation, but from generation to generation. Here is the hope of the people of God that God reigns forever. And he's always the same. Although everything else changes about us, God's holiness and His mercy, His power and His faithfulness, His plans and His promises, these remain. They don't change like the the wind, it comes and goes. And though the temple in Jerusalem, God's earthly throne was broken in pieces, His throne in heaven still stands. The Lord sits on His throne. Look around you in this world and you won't find anything lasting, anything sure to cling to. Things come and go and change. And pass away. And sure, you might find something that gives you happiness for a a time. Maybe even a long while. You feel satisfied in, in this thing that you love. But in the end, the world is passing away. It is not going to last. And you will be tossed to and fro as you look to things in this world to find your happiness, how well things go in in your work or how well things are going with the kids at home. How stable the, the situation of the world powers is. we're looking to those things, we're going to be depressed and worried and honestly, you will not find peace. You will not find peace in this world. If we're looking to our own efforts, the things that we can accomplish, those are going to be broken and pass away. If we're looking to the wisdom and knowledge that we can acquire to try and figure things out, The little that we know will not change the world. We need the Lord. If you raise your eyes to Him on His throne, there you have an everlasting hope. There you have a hope that does not change. Yahweh, the self-existent one, That is what his name, I am, means. He's the one who always was and always is and always will be. If there's any hope that you will have in this world, it is in him. His unchanging character. You see, no matter what times we live in, God is on his throne, holding the world together, setting the boundaries of nations, working all things for the good of His people and for His own glory. And that's good news for the people of God. That's good news for those who stake their claim in nothing but but God alone. See, there's only two kinds of people. Those that cry out to this God and those that look elsewhere. Really, it's as simple as that. And no lip service and praying to a God of our own making doesn't count. God calls all men everywhere to repent and to worship Him in spirit and in truth, the Lord told the Samaritan woman in John 4 24, to worship in spirit, not only externally or in this place or that place, but in our innermost being with sincerity, not hypocrisy. I'll worship you here and I will worship this there. Jesus said, You can only serve one master. Secondly, we must worship him in truth. We must worship the true God. If we're not looking to the true God, we're not looking to the God on his throne who is able to restore us. You have a God that can do nothing, it's no better than the idols that the people chopped down the tree and they made it themselves. And they couldn't talk, and they couldn't hear, and they could do nothing. We do that in our minds when we replace the God of of the scripture, the God who's revealed himself to us with our own thoughts. And there are times that even I, I want to think of God in in my own way because it's harder to believe in a God who, who destroys an entire nation, who lets little children suffer Because of their parents' sin. We have to trust in the God who sits on the throne. We can't make God into our own image. So what about you? Are you crying out to to the, the true God? Or are you looking elsewhere? Do you look up daily to God and His throne and take courage and comfort in that? To fear Him and not all these things in the world that scare us, that are just passing away. Even the powers of darkness are trampled by Christ Himself. Do we fear God alone? And look up to him. That's what the poet does in the closing verses. He cries out to God with his request, beginning in verse 20. And he's honest. Why do you forsake us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? Because he knows God has left them to experience any of the consequences of their sin. And he says in verse 21, Restore us to Yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old, unless You've utterly rejected us and You remain exceedingly angry with us. The poet recognizes... Only God can restore them. And he prays like that. No excuses. No trying to sound righteous. No trying other options. No pretending that the people deserve mercy. Like, Lord, give us what we, you, you owe us. And they're like, no, we don't deserve that. There's just one plea. Restore us to Yourself, O Lord. May God give each of us the grace to see that there is no restoring ourselves. That we would know that God must restore us. That we need His grace and His strength. His knowing that. We can go to him in prayer. We can look to him each and every day. Seek him and see him who is on the throne. The book of laments ends without a response from God. There's no epilogue and this is what God did to save his people. Judah was going to have to wait. They had to endure 70 years. In Babylon to keep looking to God and trusting his word. And you and I, like Judah, are left with a choice in our lives. Will we cry out to this God on the throne and will we wait for his salvation? Or will we choose another path and seek salvation elsewhere? And this is not something to put off. You see, unless your faith is in the true God, it's destruction, not restoration, that will be our end. So, where are we looking? Who are we seeking? How will you respond when restoration isn't happening the way that you would like? All is not as well as you wish it to be. Where is your faith then? Where is your faith today? Is it in the things around you? I can promise you they're going to be gone. Or is it in God whose throne endures forever? His throne endures over all things, the visible things and the things that we cannot see. Things that we don't understand or know. He reigns over those things also. Friend, when your life is in shambles, whether whether the sin of others affecting you or your own sin that we all do battle with. God is still on the throne and he has not changed. He's the same God who said, I will restore the fortunes of my people. Amos chapter nine, verse 14. The same God who spoke through the prophet Isaiah and said, Can a woman forget her nursing child? that she would not have compassion on the son of her womb, even these may forget. And life is a testimony to the fact that, yes, mothers can forget and not care for their own children. Yet, I will not forget you, says the Lord. Behold, I have graven you on the palm of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Isaiah 49, verse 15. Is that something that you believe? Do you believe that He really is that God? That though we sow in tears as we heard in our call to worship, Psalm 126, the people of God will one day reap them with joy. They will, for a certainty, because God is an unchangeable God, and He rules over all things. And, brothers and sisters, this side of the first advent, the first coming of Christ, we can say this with an even greater certainty than the prophet Jeremiah. For the promises of God through the prophets have been fulfilled. We can say this when there is so much wrong in our world because he came. Because, brothers and sisters, Emmanuel has come. God has come to restore his people to himself. He who makes the immortal, invisible God of the heavens visible, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the only one who can restore us to, him, to himself. And he has done so, for in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians five nineteen. This is... The good news, the message of reconciliation, restored relationship with God through Christ, who is God with us. This reconciliation comes because of Christ's forgiveness, forgiveness through the blood of Christ, for he does not count our sins against us. This is why. The only way by which reconciliation and restoration is possible. This is good news. God came to restore us to himself. He accomplished salvation through Christ's death in our place and through his resurrection. And Christ, our Lord and God, now reigns on his eternal throne until He comes again. He is that God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same God to whom the poet prayed. When he could not see ahead, all he had was the promises of God. That God would not abandon His people. And he prayed that, Lord, do not forsake us. Lord, You need to restore us let that be our prayer that God would continue to restore and renew us. That He would continue the work that He's begun in us. And as we do that, let's take prayers like this as our our example to, to begin to make a habit of Remembering our need. Telling the Lord. There's no one else who can help you. So tell him. Bring the troubles. Bring your sin before God. You know, after reading a text like this, our troubles might seem kind of small. Judah had it pretty bad. Three centuries ago, Matthew Henry commented on on verses nine and ten of Lamentations chapter five, and he said he thought this was how we should respond. He said, let us take occasion to bless God for the plenty we enjoy that we get our bread so easily, scarcely with the sweat of our face, much less with the peril of our lives. And for the peace we enjoy, we can go out and enjoy not only the necessary productions, but the pleasures of the country without any fear of the sword of the wilderness. And he was right to draw our attention, to be thankful when we, we are not in that place that Judah was. And to be thankful then so that if God should take away some of these things that we so love and enjoy that our faith would not be shaken. Because then we'll see who is our God. Is it my belly or is it the Lord? I would add to those words of wisdom to be thankful that we should not be naive to the fact that we too deserve the, the wrath of God. And that it is only God's mercy that stands between us and such a great disaster. So that we would be thankful and humble in turning to God with our needs. And that as we do that, as we bring our request to God, that we would cultivate a habit of looking up to God. That we would not forget who He is. We would not forget His character. We would not forget His promises. This is our only hope. So what are we doing spouting off a list of things if we cannot remember the God to whom we pray, that we, cannot, uh, that we do not turn to Him as the one who can help us. I pray that we would see Him on His throne every day and go to Him that in light of His throne and in light of our need, we would plead for God Himself to restore us and provide the things that we need. Where else can we go? The Apostle Peter got it right when he said that to Jesus. Where else can we go? And if you can't, if you're not at that place, not at the place of surrendering to God and of of faith in Him. And I know it's a struggle. We don't have a perfect faith. But do you know? the one who can restore you, the one who has sent his son. The Lord came himself to do that work. So let's look to him and pray. Restore us to yourself, O Lord. Let that be our prayer.